You're listening to Travel Secrets with Tanya Rose, the podcast that shares wisdom for fellow travellers. Welcome to Travel Secrets with me, Tanya Rose, the podcast sharing wisdom for fellow travellers. Each week, I ask my guests to reveal their six travel secrets and the trips and holidays that uncover them. My guest today is the Olivier-winning actor and wonderful Mark Strong. Mark first appeared on our screens in the late 90s in the incredible BBC drama Our Friends in the North and has appeared in countless fabulous films such as the Kingsman trilogy, Stardust, which as I told you is one of my favourite, Sherlock Holmes in 1917. He won an Olivia Award for his acclaimed performance in Arthur Miller's A View from a Bridge, which he also performed on Broadway. And coming up in September, October, mm-hmm. we're going to be able to see him in Oedipus in the West End. That's right. As well as traveling far and wide for his work, Mark has spent time in Germany due to his family connections. So I'm thrilled and excited not only to meet one of my favorite British actors, but also to hear some of your travel secrets. Well, I'm blushing. <laughs> I'm so pleased to meet you, Mark. Growing up with an Austrian mother, Italian father, has travel impacted who you have become? Just tell us before we go into the travel secrets, a bit more about you and how travel has made you become the man you are. I'd never really thought about that, but having uh, parents who are not English, even though I was born here in London, and speaking German already gives you a sort of take on somewhere else, other part of another part of the world. And I did grow up as a kid with my grandma in Austria because my mum was a working single mum. My dad, he, he wasn't around. And in order to um, earn the money to support us both, she'd often ship me back over to Austria to go and stay with my gran. So I grew up kind of both in Austria and London. So I already had a sense of travel. I was, in fact, I was from school. I used to when my mum moved away from England when I was 11, I used to travel on my own. I was, um, yeah, an accompanied minor. Oh, yes, with one of those things around your neck on the aeroplane. <laughs> well, there'd always be a stewardess or somebody assigned to you who'd basically get you to the plane, put you on the plane and pick you up at the other end. So I was used to travelling from a very young age on my own. Where in Austria? Vienna is where my grandmother's from and where my mother grew up, but she then moved to a place called Schladming in the Steiermark, Styria, we call it. And it, um, in the 80s, it became a very successful, popular ski resort. And I think mm-hmm. it still is now. Do you go back there? No, I would like to, though, because I'd like to see how it changed. Because when I was there as a kid, we used to do things like get a tractor tire, chuck it in the Enns River. And it's called ENS, I think, the river, if I remember correctly. And then just float down the river on these tractor tires. And we how used to, wonderful. Yeah, you know, hang out in fields. And uh, it was very rural. I have very fond memories of it, but I think it's changed enormously now to accommodate the whole skiing aspect. Do you ski? I do, yeah. I mean, largely because when I was a kid, there was a ski lift at the top of my grand's road. It wasn't exotic or special. It was just something to do. I used to take my skis, walk up the road. It was an incredibly rickety ski lift that used to take you up there in the winter. And um, I learned to ski from the age of five. And have you taken your boys skiing? Yeah, we've been skiing. They love it. Do they? Are they, they better than you now? Well, they are. They're snowboarders. <laughs> oh, are they? Yeah. Mm. I tried it once, got covered in bruises and decided mm. it wasn't no, for me. No, not for me. I grew up skiing too. <laughs> I tried it once and broke my collarbone. So that was it. Oh, no. Never again. Oh, really? <laughs> yes. Actually, my son, just on this last trip we had to Switzerland, he, on the last run, did exactly that. <laughs> 
we got a call that he'd broken his collarbone and they were very efficient at getting him down off the mountain into the clinic. And then I realized when we got to the clinic, how many people get injured skiing because every single cubicle was full. Oh, poor thing. <laughs> oh, I hope he gets better soon. I actually now am reliving it. It was quite painful a uh, long time ago though. Thank you to Antler for collaborating with us on the launch of Travel Secrets. Antler is the British travel brand for those who travel often since 1914. With over 100 years of travel expertise, Antler is renowned for designing and manufacturing quality luggage. Each suitcase embodies pioneering British design, combining innovation, function and durability with a lifetime warranty. Explore Antler's latest collection at antler.co.uk. Let's get into your travel secrets. So travel secret number one, what is the number one destination that you believe everyone should go to once in their life? Well, my favorite place on earth, I think I discovered relatively recently, is Japan. I feel like it's still somewhere that is culturally completely different and the first time I went there, actually, was with the theatre. I went to the National Theatre. I was doing um, Richard III and King Lear, two plays, one cast doing both plays. Oh, Brian wow. Cox was King Lear. Ian McKellen was Richard III. Oh, my goodness. How wonderful. And there was a guy in Japan, in Tokyo, who had built some apartment block. And I think in order to justify him having the land and being able to do that, he had to build something to do with the arts. So he built a replica of Shakespeare's globe. Oh, did he? This was before we even had a globe in the yeah. UK, in London. And he would invite theatre companies from the UK to go and do Shakespeare. So we did Lear and Richard III there. But this was 1990. So it was pre-phones, pre-Google Maps. Very few people spoke English. I mean, even now, not an awful lot of Japanese people speak English when you go. And finding your way around was hilarious because you had absolutely no idea where you were going and most of the, the time. And all the signs are in Japanese. Exactly, and there was nothing in English. I mean, you'd go into a restaurant and just point at something and hope for the best. I mean, and some live thing would arrive. <laughs> you'd be... <laughs> I mean, usually it was amazing, yeah. so you'd be fine, because it, it was just culturally so fascinating. And I just remember realising I was somewhere very, very different, and I think everybody should experience that once in their lives. Have you been back since? Many times. We've been back skiing a couple of times because the skiing there is incredible. In the north, there is Hokkaido, I think, is the... It's a much more Western five-star kind of experience. Lots of Australians there. So if you like that, there's that. But we wanted something a little bit different. We went to a place called Nazawa Onsen, which is a bit four-star and a bit analogue. Yeah. You know, and plenty of places to go and have hot baths and the skiing there were it was amazing the snow is incredible in japan there were very few westerners in the Onsen. again nice. it may be different now and it was really lovely we also went to a place called hapa one which is a whole valley that has many resorts along it and again the snow incredible but also i've been all over i've been to nagasaki and tokyo and we even got a car last time we went because with google maps now you can kind of go off piste whereas in the past you always had to stay in a particular track and take a particular train and have an absolutely mapped out itinerary whereas now you can travel a little bit and you drove yourself yeah very yeah. brave yeah but Excellent. you know the culture is such that everybody drives really safely it's really is it the same easy. side of the road as here i think it i think be. it is yes it is yes i can't remember yeah. i think so i think, I think you're so. right yes so very simple kyoto did you go to kyoto we went to kyoto had a fantastic yeah, time there tokyo nagasaki we went all the way down to the 
the West and saw that incredible island where when, when Japan was shut for that whole period that it, you couldn't get in a few hundred years, there's one little island and one little bridge where anything that was being delivered into the country was allowed to enter. Really? And it's in tiny. Nagasaki, how interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I've never thought of Japan for skiing, so that will go onto my list yeah. of things it's, to do. It's amazing. Yeah. There's something about, I think, the, the air and the mountain or something that creates an incredible a particular type of snow. Wonderful. So let's go on to travel secret number two. What's the most unexpected experience you've ever had when traveling or place that you've been to? Cuba. I think that I didn't really know what to expect from Cuba. I'd seen lots of photographs of old American cars, yeah. very colorful. And of course, the reality is very different because there's an embargo and they are struggling to survive. Mm. Their system is very different. They have university lecturers and doctors are paid something like $30 a month. There's a ration books. They still have ration books where you're allowed six eggs, three bags of sugar, I mean, six pounds of flour. Everybody's entitled to that, though. I think in retrospect, the, the revolution was, was intended to be benign. And I think the idea that everybody's equal, I mean, for example, now you have a year's maternity leave on full pay, which is kind of very far-sighted. And I think it was intended to, for the people, but the problem is the economy suffered. And then with the embargo on top of that from the States, they, they can't really get going. There's no capitalist elements there even now. Although the farmers, I think, are allowed to keep some of their crop back and sell it rather than just give it to the government. But going to government outlets for food was fascinating because there'd be lots of tables, but they all had exactly the same produce at exactly the same price. Wow. And I said to one of the ladies, a woman that I met, how do you choose who you go to? She said, well, just whoever's a friend of a friend or yeah. somebody you know. But the poverty is Israel. grinding mm. but you get out into the country because it's a huge island and it's absolutely gorgeous Beautiful. yeah where did you stay when you went did you stay in hotels or did you no. stay in houses there are government-run hotels yeah. which are kind of a little they're a bit dull mm. and they cater for tourists and you're in a touristy area we went to old havana and found an old house that had been renovated mm. by a couple in a very sort of colonial style it had Lovely. an amazing rooftop lots of plants a very airy but in a very very down at Heel District. I mean, when somebody came one day to take us on a tour to go to Hemingway's house, they couldn't believe that we were living there. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, but it was totally safe, you know. And what I found amazing with the people there is their dignity, genuinely. I mean, because I've been to places where it's very poor and you find yourself finding it very hard mm. to deal with the fact that the poverty is so intense. And often people will be on you in places yeah. like that, you know, like in, say, Morocco or Colombia, where I've been. Or India or... Yeah, yeah. and quite rightly, you know, yeah. if I had no money, I'd do yeah. the same thing. You're the guy with the money, they want to try and get some money from you. That doesn't happen in Cuba at all. There's, a, there's I think, an appreciation of the fact that you visited and the fact that I think people have this, this entry-level food available from the yeah. ration books. Interesting. I mean, obviously it will change because all of the chains of hotels and things are all looking at going in there. Mm. So I think it is try and go now, mm. even though there is the poverty and everything, because I think it could become one of these places that's just taken over by chains and big high-rise buildings, which will change the whole dynamic of it, won't it? It would be completely different yeah. then. And the minute it gets resorty and yeah. like that, it's going gonna, it's gonna to change. Whereas it. now they still have those, they do have those old American cars that somehow yeah. they manage yeah. to keep them running. And the feeling is very much one of their very pleased that you've come to visit and very proud of yeah, what they've got to show absolutely. you because i have to say what they lack in 
you know, amenities and things more than made up for by their art and culture. Oh, their culture is amazing. Isn't so every it? night we'd go out, you know, and see some incredible band yeah. somewhere. And everybody also said the food wouldn't be great. The food was fantastic okay. if you find the right place. But the music was cool, was it? Music was amazing. One night we went out and there was this incredible trumpeter. I can't remember his name now, but he's like one of the top trumpeters in the world. They were doing this extraordinary music. Everybody was up and dancing. You know, the the kind of energy was incredible. And then another night we were out at dinner at a restaurant. The owner came over and said, the Rolling Stones of Cuba are playing on the roof. And it was this 15-piece salsa band who were absolutely oh, unbelievable. Amazing. And this kept happening every night. And you realize it's going on everywhere. Yeah, I wherever think, you go. Yeah, it manifests itself. All that sort of deprivation manifests itself in another way. We met a graffiti artist, for example. My son is very into graffiti and art and we met the guy who'd done a lot of the graffiti that we were seeing on the walls because we met somebody who was an artist and who knew him and he came out we went for dinner oh, fantastic you know it was a it was a great vibe so travel secret number three what is the most overrated travel experience you've ever had i travel a lot for work so when i get to choose where i go on holiday obviously you can choose places you're interested in often for work you don't have a choice mm. And I remember doing a film, which didn't turn out very well. So I won't tell you who was in it because it's, it, I don't want to you know, give them a hard time. But I had to film in Czechoslovakia and it was a place called Ostrava. Now, don't no disrespect to any Czech people or people who live or know Ostrava. It's, on, it's near the Polish border. I had to look it up. And virtually the first thing it said when I looked up was, there is nothing really to see in Ostrava but that nothing doesn't nothing to do honestly it just was like very apologetic there's nothing really here there's no sites there's no tourism but you could visit our mine mm. and that's what Ostrava was famous for it had a steel works and a mine and that was its claim to fame I have to say that the place itself was quite pretty but it was quite deprived again maybe it wasn't long after the wall had come down but i remember having to go and buy some elementaries like i had to go and get some new pants and socks and t-shirts and things like that i couldn't find any oh, really? in the shops there was virtually nothing there so that was a little bit of a disappointment having said that though most of the places i've been are are great that was a, an experience did you manage to travel around Czechoslovakia when you were there did you go to Prague or any of the other I've places? been to Prague in the past and yeah. I've worked there before but not on that particular but I had to stay there because the film was struggling so much they they couldn't let anybody leave they didn't know what they were going to shoot the next day what sets were ready or anything like that so I was kind of stuck mm. in a place where there was absolutely nothing to do but you're lucky <laughs> that most places you go to are wonderful yeah well absolutely yeah and you've just yeah. come back from Hungary did you say yeah Budapest was, was that lovely gorgeous you know just a one incredible city yeah it is a great very city. easy to walk around people are really friendly very you know very kind lots of good restaurants mm. um now I think in the past they they struggled with that but now they have and uh the river, the Danube goes through the middle. You have Buda up on the hill and yeah. Pest down below. Yeah. So it's incredibly photogenic. I think that Budapest actually is a great place to go to for a short weekend or a long weekend. Mm. Not on everyone's radar, not because it's, you know, difficult to get to, but I think it's a very pretty destination to go to. I like it very much. It's not my favorite city. My favorite city is Istanbul. Have you been there? No, you that's actually somewhere. No, where I really do want to go. And I've been conscious of the fact that that's one of the few places I have it's been It's absolutely to to. fantastic. It just when you said about the Danube and everything, you know, you've got the West and the East mm. and the Bosphorus. It is really superb. In fact, I've got a great hotel that I'm going to send you to. It's okay. just open. I've, genuinely, and, I've no, always no, honestly, thought I have to it's go It's really there. fabulous. And there's some really great restaurants, great music. Yeah. 
very good vibe. I think you'd really enjoy it. So that's that's the next place I'm going to send you. Okay, exciting. <laughs> so travel secret number four, what is the best meal you've ever had or the best cocktail, the best restaurant? I mean, food and drink is obviously so important to all of us. So. Yeah, I think Copenhagen's where I've had the best meal. We went to a restaurant called Geranium, very famous, one of the world's best restaurants, multi-courses of very interesting sort of bits and pieces, tiny little wheat sheaves that mm-hmm. was actually bread and then one course they invite you up to go into the kitchen while they prepare a course so interesting i mean i'm not a great fan of you know tiny little bits and yeah. pieces you know sometimes it can it's all style and no content but the food was delicious the the, the ambiance was great they have this word hugelig you know which is oh, yes the hug yeah i think outside the window at some point they lit a fire So in the middle of the meal, you suddenly realize that there's warm flames coming at you from the other side of the window just to get the experience. That's amazing. Yeah, phenomenal thing. The most unusual meal experience I've had was in Tokyo again. My boys love sushi and we've been to many sushi restaurants. We got to know somebody who worked in one who had a connection with Japan. He was an Irish guy, so not Japanese. And he said, listen, when you go, uh, I've got a very good friend. His parents run a tempura restaurant in Tokyo. You must go there. So we said, okay. So we made the arrangement to go. On the day, we couldn't find it. We literally, we went everywhere. We spent about an hour trying to find where this place was. It wasn't kind of where it said on the map. We were about to give up when I said to Liza, my wife, listen, I'll just pop into a bar. I'll just ask somebody if they know where this place is. And nobody really knew. One gentleman stood up and he went, I think I know where you mean. And we went out with him and he took time to walk us about 20 minutes to where this restaurant was. We walked all the way and we got into the restaurant. It was empty apart from one couple and the owner and his wife. And what we realized was we were an hour and a half late and we were literally on the verge of giving up. And what we realized was they had kept the restaurant just for us that night. And the couple they invited were the only people they knew who spoke English. Oh, how sweet. So that they could translate for us. And we felt so happy that we stuck with it you know that we gone i know because can you imagine if those guys especially in japan were being polite and all of that is very very important important. if we just not turned up and they'd kept the restaurant closed for kept it closed for us invited their friends and all of that so anyway we got there and it was incredibly it was just tempura and he had these two great big bowls of hot fat i suppose and live prawns you know, which you, you can't get fresher than that. And yeah, was it had, delicious? It was absolutely incredible. So your boys, even though they love sushi, they love now tempura as tempura well. Tempura they love as well, yeah. I mean, did you tell them that it's not easy to find that so that they can look on their Google Maps and things so people can find them in the future? I didn't want to embarrass them no. or anything. I just had to say, I'm so sorry that we're late. And it was literally because we found it very difficult. And they knew that that was the truth because the gentleman who kind of escorted us there said, you know, they were beside themselves. They they didn't know where they were going. And it is genuinely difficult to find. But then that's, that's, that's that thing I was telling well. you earlier. You know, the cultural differences are yeah. such that um, maybe a Japanese person would find it in a second. Yeah, but. because they can read all of the little signs <laughs> down, down the exactly. alleyways. Oh, exactly. Yeah. Let's go on to travel secret number five. Mm-hmm. What is your best insider travel secret? For example, when I go to Venice... And I go to Harry's Bar, which is very well known. I always ask for the table in the corner because that's where Ernest Hemingway sat. Oh, really? And it has the best view. It's a tiny table, but that is the table to sit at because then you see the whole of the restaurant. So little things like that, I think, are always really interesting for people to know. I thought more about um, 
travel tips. Oh, yes. Slightly tips, boring brilliant. travel tips. I'm no, very, no, very organised and very tidy. So obviously a huge part of travel is packing. Oh, yes. I don't know how packer? hard and long you think about packing. I remember a friend of mine who I told, you know, I have to cut short. We were just having a drink together because I've got to go and pack. He said, yeah, but you've got hours. And I said, uh, yeah, yeah, but, you know, I've got to work out what I'm going to take and, you know, have a look. And what I do is I get everything out that I think I might want to take. And the first thing I do is halve it. So I put everything out and then half of the things I go, okay, don't, you know, don't, and then the ones that are left, I try and fill it that as well. And just so I can take, I like traveling light. Um, I have to say, I've just been in LA. I'd managed to travel with just a bag and some onboard luggage. luggage? But when I came back, I had to buy another bag because I had been given some presents and bought some stuff. So that didn't quite work out as I intended. But genuinely, I love to travel light. I don't know why. I've, maybe since I was traveling as a kid at 11, I've always tried to. Because I remember when I was at school, I'd have to think at the end of term, how much stuff am I going to take? Because you could only have a case of 20 kilos. So I'd have to leave my clothes, have to work out what to leave behind, what to wash so it was fresh when I got back at the beginning of next term. My goodness, Put you it were organized at 11. Exactly. So had to be. Wow. Yeah. So now I'm very organized about packing. Rolling clothes, obviously, in a suitcase helps them survive. Adapters in shoes, put things in shoes, gives you a bit more space. But a, a four-gang plug adapter, I mean, perhaps you don't need it so much anymore because a lot of hotels now have their adapters and they have USB ports yeah. and stuff. But there was a time when I suddenly found myself taking so much electrical equipment with different plugs that I just took one adapter and plugged in my four gang so i could plug all of those in there yeah Yeah. yeah. otherwise you were going under tables and putting one in there and yes yeah or using four different adapters and yeah that was a that was a little thing i think being organized is actually brilliant liza my wife travels in a very different way she takes anything that she might need yeah so you know the opposite yeah i think women it's more difficult shoes that's the tricky one that's true and then i actually hardly ever wear the shoes so yeah I, i am being a little bit better than I have been in the past on that. I don't think I've ever traveled. And even though I packed very frugally and um, lightly, I don't think I've ever traveled and used everything in my case ever. You know, you always take slightly too much, but then if you take too little, you run the risk of what just happened to me and you have to buy another bag to bring everything back. Yes, exactly. So with travel and insider tips of places rather than packing, Hmm. do you travel to one place more often on business? I mean, would it be New York or LA? Or... I've been to LA a few times recently. Funny enough, not much films in LA, or never used to. But recently, I've been there a lot more. You're always looking for places to walk in LA, and Abbot Kinney is one of them. So when I went first went there, I, I stayed in a little hut just behind this guy's house, uh, like two streets over from Abbot Kinney, and had a little place in the back. And the funny thing about it was, I was watching a TV series about two or three years ago, and I thought, I know that. I know that little hut. I've stayed there. Basically, they used it as this thing in the series. I mean, and it was, uh, you know, uh, just incredible. I I wasn't expecting to see it in a TV series, but that's very LA. I've been going to LA a lot more. Uh, New York I had to go to recently because I've just done a thing with Colin Farrell called uh, Penguin. He did, he was in Batman and he played the character of Penguin. Penguin. They're doing a series of it. So I went over. And I think what's happened recently with the actor strike It meant everything had to go on hold. So everybody who was shooting anything went into the edit and suddenly realized, oh, we could do with another shot there. We could do with this. We could do with that. So I've literally just come back from doing a few days shooting in New York and a bit in LA. 
So very lucky to get to travel. Lovely. So let's do travel secret number six. What memory have you got from a holiday or a trip which is really poignant to you still now? When I left university, I went with a group of friends to Sri Lanka Mm. and had the most amazing time. Part of it was getting to know a particular chap who had a hut on the beach. He was called Tilak. And he used to make this wonderful food and we would hang out at his place. And there were lots of places along the beach, but we really got on with him. He liked us, we liked him. We just got to know him really well. When it came for time to leave, we realized he was running the energy for his hut off a car battery that he was having to constantly charge. That was the only way he'd get electricity to, to, but for a few pounds, he could connect to the local grid up on the road. So we gave him the money to be able to connect his heart to the electricity thing. And uh, somebody went back about, I think, the following year to say that that was all up and running. He was really happy. And so we felt like we'd done a good deed. Then the tsunami happened. Oh, gosh. And basically he was right in the right epicenter of it oh, all. Yeah, sad. It was in a place called Unavatuna, Unavatuna, right on the south coast. We had no idea what, what had happened and... Um, were very worried for him because obviously it was cataclysmic. But a friend of ours who went over to help with the uh, clear-up operation met somebody, not our friend, but met somebody who knew somebody called Tilak who was around, who'd survived the... And it was our Tilak. And the reason that he knew he was connected to us was because when we were in his heart, we'd taken... There's a, there's a place called the Candy Hill Club in Sri Lanka, which is up on the hill, and you have to take a blazer and a tie. Now, only a bunch of idiots who just left university would, would think it would be a great idea to take blazer and a tie <laughs> to Sri Lanka. But we thought, you know, maybe we'll go and visit this hill club. It'll be interesting. Of course, we never went. But we did have... So so on our leaving night from Tilak's place, we wore our blazers and ties. Brilliant. He prepared us a fish, and we took all these photographs together. And this guy, Tilak, had the photograph of us. And our friend's friend knew that this was us. So we were able to find out through that photograph that Tilak had survived. survived. And I think he's now back on the beach. How amazing. um, That's a a, great story. Really wonderful. And how lovely that you were able to fund him to have his electricity as well when you left. Well, we we thought that was just a nice thing to do because we got on with him really well, but we were just then devastated at the idea that he might have perished in that. Well, if he was right on the beach, he's very lucky he did survive. So how wonderful. That's a great story. Thank you. (laughs) So lastly, I asked you to bring a photograph and talk about a photograph that has a memory about travel or how you see travel. So perhaps you could just show us the photograph and talk about a trip or or that photo. That would be amazing. Yes, right. So I definitely have a photograph in here that will show you how amazing the place I've just been is, which is Jamaica. I was lucky enough to go to, it's a place called G-Jam. It's a recording studio. Very cool. So there were guys, literally rappers and and reggae stars coming in to record while we were staying there. It's run by a couple of guys who used to be in the music business. They're sort of in their late 60s, 70s now. It's incredibly comfortable and very beautiful. And we stayed there for a few days and then we did a sort of bone shattering drive along the coast which is wherever you travel in Jamaica. You've got a tough old car journey, but you've just got to go with that and got to Goldeneye 
which is where Ian Fleming lived and wrote all of the James Bond novels. And in fact, Noel Coward has a house very near there. And Goldeneye is an idyllic retreat. I mean, it's a very beautiful place and it's a real privilege to stay there. It feels a little like the Maldives in the sense that you can you can find your own space. It's, it's a large enough area that you can get away from everybody if you want. There are various different beaches um, and there's a whole lagoon uh, that you, in the middle. So you can have beach huts on the beach. You can have huts on stilts in a sort of area there, or you can have a lagoon hut where you can literally just jump straight into the lagoon from your hut. They all have little kayaks and things and paddle boards. And in fact, one day we paddle boarded to the spa had a massage and then paddleboarded back, which is just... So it's not just a house, Goldeneye. There are lots of different places you can stay, are they? Goldeneye is the name of the resort. Oh, it's the resort. But it was his house. But now there are, I think, 20-something, 20 different places you Mm. can stay in huts. But they're all spread out and there's plenty of room for everybody so you don't feel like you're on top of each other. And it was owned by Chris Blackwell, I think, who owned Island Records, who was the person who founded Bob Marley and then he had other... Yeah, um, still is. He was there. Oh, was he there? there. Was he? Yeah, yeah. Didn't you used to have a band? I was in a punk band, yeah, when I was 14 at school. Two, two bands I was in, two different ones. And that was really just because that was the time. It was the 70s. And I think I've said this before, but in Sounds magazine, there was a... There was a, a full-page ad that said, here's three chords, now go out and form a band. And in fact, that was done by an artist called um, somebody Moon, I think his name is. And in fact, he realized that that was the thing that had prompted me to be in a band. He sent me a print of that very thing, How of the wonderful. three chords, yeah. But we took it literally. We basically, I said, okay, you get a guitar, you get a you drum, you get a bass, and then we'll just make some noise. And that's basically what we did. But you didn't go into the recording studio in Jamaica and do a bit of reggae or anything no, that when would you have been there. great, but my sons had a fantastic time oh, doing all they? of that and did hanging they? out with the local reggae stars. How wonderful. So it's actually a great place to go if you've got teenage boys or girls, because yeah. there is that to do there. Yeah, at G-Jam. Yeah. And the New Year's Eve party there, Grace Jones was there. And there were 400 people on the beach and you were shoulder to shoulder. And it's like all those films you've ever seen of people having crazy parties. That's what New Year's Eve was like. I think Goldeneye was much calmer than that. So I feel like we had the best of both worlds. Best of both worlds. How wonderful. Thank you so much for bringing that picture in. That's fantastic. Mark, it's been such a delight. I've absolutely loved talking to you, hearing all of your travel secrets, and it's been so interesting. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. There's nothing nothing finer you can do than really talk about wonderful places you've been able to visit. Aren't we lucky? Mm. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Travel Secrets. I'm loving making this podcast and want it to reach as many people as possible to build this community of fellow travellers. So please do subscribe on your favourite podcast app and share with a friend. I'll be back next week. And remember, this podcast might not change your life, but it might just change your plans.